And we're going to be looking at John chapter 1, verses 14 to 18 this morning. How many Johns are here today with us? We got John here, John up there, John. We got John in the back, uh, Johnny. Uh, my father's name was John, grandfather John, brother John. I had an uncle John. And so we love the name, John. And my son Johnny sent me a, a dad joke. You ready for it? You want to hear it? But no. I'm going to spare you this Christmas. He asked me to get him a globe. I said no. I said no to him. He said it would have meant the world to me. No? I should have saved that one, right? That one take and just rip it up and throw it away, right? That's a, save it for a rainy day. Thank you, John. This John. I'm starting to like this John over here. We got John's all around. But John, if you mess with me, I got an Uncle John. I'll take care of you, so don't worry about it. We'll go to John chapter 1 here. There's a, a song that came out some of years before your time um, in 1995. <laughs> Chalmer, how old were you then? 1995? 65. 65 in 95. Wow, praise the Lord. And do the math. It's, it's... Song came out. It was called One of Us. Anybody remember know that song, One of Us? It actually was a song that says, what if God was one of us? Oh, now we know it. Now it's, uh, and asked a series of questions to what would you do if God was one of us? Interesting questions that are in this song is, um, you know, if God was one of us, how can we relate to him? If God was one of us and he had a name, would you call it to his face? Interesting. How about this one? If, if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask him if you only had one question? You thought about that one. And you're like, wow, this is pretty theologically on. And then it starts to get to, what if God was one of us, a slob like one of us, a stranger on the bus, just looking to get home like one of us? They've missed it. And in the midst of the song, they sing, God is great and God is good. And yet, they don't even know God. What if God was one of us? I want you to look right here at this passage of Scripture. And you do see that God became one of us. Here in John 1, verses 14, and we're going to look uh, to verse 18, but we're just going to stay on verse 14 for a little bit. And notice... What he says here in this passage, he says, and the word became flesh. Now, now, now don't miss this, that the word, when he's talking about the word, we know from John verses 1 and 2, he's talking about the eternal God. The eternal God, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And in, and in verse 14, he, he mentioned there he's the word again, he's the logos he is the one that became flesh. Now, now, here's what's amazing about that, because sometimes our minds can't think about this, but I want you to think about this for a moment. That the one that created all things, the one that is from eternity past, the one that is the God of the universe became a baby. Think about that for a moment. 
and was born of a virgin and depended upon his mother for milk, the one that created the whole universe. And, and it says here that he became flesh. And, and what it means here when he's talking about flesh, he's not talking about flesh like sinful flesh, that we are sinners and we have the sinful flesh. What he's talking about is a human body. Now, now don't miss this. He had a human body, which meant he felt things. He meant he got weary, which, which meant that he, he was tired, he was tempted, and it meant that he can sympathize with us. He, he, the word became flesh. He can sympathize with us. He can show us an example of how to live. And not only that, he could die for us. He became a human being. Without ceasing to be God, he became a man. Now, this is amazing. I was, I was reading something that uh, Chuck Swindoll wrote, one of my heroes. By the way, I don't know if you know, but he had um, heart surgery recently. And um, he is out of the pulpit now for a couple of months there. But he's an amazing guy, 88 years old. But, but listen what he says here about this, about, about him becoming a dual nature here. He says this, the truth of Christ's dual nature, his unblemished deity and his complete humanity is vitally important theologically, but it's crucial in a practical sense. Now listen to this. When I am tempted to shake my fist at the heavens and wonder if God is being cruelly indifferent when I suffer down here on earth, John's gospel reminds me of this truth. When Adam brought sin into the world and death with sin, the Lord could have incinerated the world as just punishment and he would have been no less holy or righteous, but he didn't. Furthermore, when we sin as individuals and collectively as humans, God has every right to turn his back and say, fine, run your own way, run the world your own way. The mess you make it, it's on your hands. But he doesn't do that. On the contrary, the Creator voluntarily became one of us in the person of Jesus Christ, who suffered as we suffer, who was tempted as we are tempted, and who endured injustice like we will never know, yet without sin. I am comforted to know that God understands and empathizes. Through His incarnation, we can appreciate His compassion more fully. Because He lived and died as a man, we can more easily understand and accept that in his resurrection, the Son of God is for us, even when we feel abandoned, mistreated, or punished by God. Think about that. God was made flesh. And not only that, look at this passage of Scripture of what happens here. He, he can sympathize, we know that. He, he is the example to follow. He died for us, but he dwelt among us. Interesting word there. It means to pitch a tent, something that I'll never do, amen? <laughs> if I go camping, I get to a hotel. Why would you pitch a tent? But anyway, pitch a tent. The word is used for tabernacle. And here's what's interesting. In, in the Old Testament, they had the tabernacle, and, and some people think the tabernacle was this beautiful, big, wonderful thing. No, this tabernacle is maybe 45 by 15. It's about the size of what we're sitting in right now. It wasn't that big. It wasn't glorious compared to the very pyramids of Egypt. 
The tabernacle was really nothing, but the tabernacle inside of the most holy of the tabernacle was the very presence of God. And what he is saying is this. He's saying he tabernacled among us. He, he, he temporarily dwelt among us. He realized his time was not long here on this earth. 33 years. Chalmers three times that. <laughs> Amen. It's pretty amazing to think about. Very short time. But there are parallels. I want you to see this between the tabernacle and the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Here, here are some of them. Some guy, he amazingly put the parallels between Jesus and the tabernacle. He said this, the tabernacle was given for Israel's wilderness journey. In other words, it, they understood that it was just a temporary thing, that they weren't going to be there forever. It was just during that journey time. And here's what's amazing about Jesus. When Jesus came, you know what he said? He said, the foxes have holes. See if you know the verse with me. The birds of the air have what? But the Son of Man has nowhere to rest his head. What an interesting thing. What knowing that the very tabernacle like we have here, the very tabernacle, the Lord Jesus came to show, hey, this world is not our place or not our home. Also as a tabernacle was very humble in appearance. I want to say this very respectfully. Jesus was not eye candy. Nobody looked at him and said, wow, look at that body. Look at that man. They weren't attracted by his beauty at all. Just like the tabernacle wasn't that beautiful on the outside. And then one of the things that are very interesting that the tabernacle was very, in the very center of the camp. And people say, Jesus Christ, what we need to have him as center of our lives. Look at this here. He is the word. He became flesh. He tabernacled among us. And, and this is what's amazing. We saw his glory. Literally, we watched it as we're sitting in a theater. Now, here's where this is not fair, because Johnny went off to school and he found a church that is meeting in a theater. That's not fair. He gets to sit, recline his feet and watch as the pastor preaches. How many would like that here? Amen. You guys would be out like a light after, you know, first illustration, you'd be gone. That's it. You know, I say, open up the Bible. There it is. You'd be praying for me, right? With your eyes closed. I, you'd be praying for me. I know you guys, none of you would sleep on me. But we watched him as a theater, it's saying here. We watched him as we're sitting in a theater and we're watching him. We're beholding him. And what did they see of him? Here's what's interesting. I never really understood this until I studied this out some more. We saw his glory. Now, he's not talking about just the transfiguration when they saw the glory of Jesus Christ. Here's what he's talking about. We saw his glory through the little acts of kindness and meeting people's needs. It says in John chapter 2, verse 11, they saw his glory through his miracles when he turned water into what? Wine. Wine. They saw his glory. When he raised Lazarus from the dead, they saw his glory. When he went around and, and met people's needs, they saw his glory. 
If we want people to see God's glory in our lives, we need to go around and do humble acts of service for other people. Don't miss this. They saw his glory. The amazing glory through his little acts. I, I, was, I, I read about Hudson Taylor. Did you know he had a brother? And, and Hudson Taylor had a brother, and this brother, interesting enough, um, became a politician and became a great man in that time, and he wanted to make a name for himself and make a glory for himself. And when he died, they put the brother of Hudson Taylor died. They didn't even mention his name. But Hudson Taylor went around serving the Lord Jesus Christ, went to China, preached Jesus Christ, and people saw the glory of God in his life. They saw his glory. The glory of who? Notice this here in the passage. The glory as the, the, the only begotten of the Father. Now, now, that, now, this is interesting here because that word begotten really gets people and, and they, they say, oh, well, then, then he was born and, and he's God's firstborn and that's what it's talking about. But the word begotten doesn't talk about that. It's monogenes. It talks about being unique. Interesting enough, this word begotten is used of Isaac in the Bible, in Hebrews 11. And do you know that Isaac was not the firstborn of Abraham? Isaac was what? The secondborn of Abraham. So he is the only begotten. He, he is the unique Savior of the world. There is uniqueness to the Lord Jesus Christ. And we're going to look here right in this passage on how he's unique. I want, to, I want to show you this. In verse 15, turn with me real quick, how he's a unique Savior. He has a unique relationship with the Father. He is special to the Father. He's unique. He is God. Now watch this in verse 15. We're going to see three ways he is unique in 15 to 18. He's unique, first of all, in his position. John testified about him and cried out saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me has a higher rank than I, for he existed before me. In other words, what it's saying here in this passage of Scripture that even though Jesus was younger than John the Baptist, anybody know how many months he was younger than John the Baptist? Six months. Six months. Very good. Six months. Even though he was younger than John the Baptist, I don't want us to miss this, notice what it says here in verse 15. He who comes after me has a higher rank than I. He is of greater importance than I. Even though John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets, even though John the Baptist was some people, some people followed him and they thought he was a great person. And even though John the Baptist was all this, he says this, Jesus Christ is higher than me. In other words, let us be very careful putting our, our, our eyes on human people and following them when we need to follow the Lord Jesus Christ. He is higher than any guide we can ever have. He is higher than any pastor we can ever have or any mentor we can ever have. He is the highest position and he is the perfect guide. He says here in this verse, John testified about him and cried out, saying, this, is, this was he of whom I said, but he who comes after me has a higher rank than I. 
And for he existed before me. Why is he better than anybody else? Why is he higher than anyone on this earth? Because he's the eternal God. When we went to Italy for our honeymoon, we had this guide. He was a, he was a piece of work. He could speak three or four, maybe even five different languages. And I understood two of them, English and Spanish. And he would tell jokes in both languages. And he was, he was amazing. He'd tell the joke and his facial expressions, his hands, his, his body would move all when he would tell the joke. And then he would go and tell it in Spanish. And his hands, his face, his, everything would move in the same place. I'm like, this guy's amazing. Then we get to the Colosseum. And I'm like, man, I can't wait for the guy to stare. He goes, there's the Colosseum. Let's keep going. I said, wait a minute. We came here to see the Colosseum. Oh, this tour doesn't include that. You want a tour that includes the Colosseum, you got to take the different tour. Me and Katie looked at him and said, bye, guide. See you later. And we went to the Colosseum. Even this great guide had flaws. Let me tell you, every human being we look at has flaws. The only one that does not is the Lord Jesus Christ. And some people have given up on Christmas and given up on these things and saying, why? I, I, I'm not going to go to this church. I mean, I follow this guy's a hypocrite or that guy's a hypocrite or this guy's that. They have their eyes on the wrong person. They need to put their eyes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. He comes here. He says, look, he says, he says, he's crying out. He's saying, this is the one. He comes after me, but don't miss this. But he is a higher rank than I am. For he existed before me. He is unique in his position but he is unique in his provision. This, this verse here, 16 and 17, this is, this is amazing here. Don't, don't ever miss this verse. This is beautiful. It says here in verse 16, for, for of his fullness, this is beautiful, of his fullness, we have all received. Once a person comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, you have received of the fullness of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now don't miss this. What have we received? Of his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. Now, this is an interesting phrase in the Greek because it's literally grace, anti-grace. In other words, grace in the place of grace or grace after grace or grace. One, one, one translation says this. We received one blessing after another blessing. But here's what he's saying here. We have received grace for every aspect of our lives. Grace when we're happy. Grace when we're sad. Grace when we're bad. And grace when we're mad. There's grace all the time. It is grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. He is saying here, what the Lord Jesus Christ provides for us because he came on this earth is grace for every aspect of our lives. Grace to believe. We would never believe if it wasn't for God's grace. Grace to grieve. Grace when our kids are little babies and they're always sick. Amen. And you're in the hospital. I remember we had Johnny on uh, the nebulizer and Ellie was on the nebulizer. And then we would come home and Joshua would burn his hand. And we had Joshua in a little sock and his hand was all burned. I'm like, is this ever going to end? I mean, for crying out loud, then Abigail was born. And it was just, it was an amazing one thing after another with Abigail. And unbelievable about having that one amen, Abigail, huh? 
And Joshua, he was something else. Love him so much. Kept me up for a whole year. <laughs> Would not sleep. Cried all the time. Burnt his hand. I'll never forget when he had that sock on his hand because he burnt his hand on the stove. I'm like, why did he do that? And then he finally got over that. And what did he do? He put his hand on another stove. <laughs> Lord! I can't take this anymore! Fever after fever, sickness after sickness. But there is God's grace. And then as they get older and they start to, to do different things and battle you through those ages as they come and think they know better than the whole world, even God. And they, they come and they tell you how things are and, and no, you're going to do this for them. And if not, you know, you're in big trouble and all this. Not that my kids would ever do that. And there's grace during that. And there's grace when they go off to college. And there's grace for every stage of life. There's grace when kids are young. There's grace when you're Chalmers' age to get out of bed. And let me just tell you, God needs to give a lot of grace. There is grace upon grace. There is grace for every season of life and every battle of life. And we cannot forget that. In fact, it's so interesting, the phrase he uses here, it's like God gives grace and that grace is done and then he gives another grace and when that grace, and then he gives another grace in another situation, another grace and a grace and a grace. And he never gives all the grace before the trial begins. He waits for that moment. Oh, now you have teenagers? Here's the teenager grace. Now they're in college? Here's the college grace. They're going to get married? I can't wait for that grace. Amen? <laughs> I can't wait for the grandchildren grace. I'm dying for that grace. But let me tell you, some of you didn't know this. There was a young boy, true story. He was born in a Christian home. His parents died when he was six. And so he went to live with his relatives. What does his relatives do? They abuse him. They tell him Christianity in this house you will not believe. And they do all kinds of things to him. And then he was eventually sent off to the Royal Navy. In the Royal Navy, what does he do? He becomes a fighter. In the Royal Navy, he's a fighter and he's fighting, but he's not a good fighter. Everybody's beating him up. And so he decides to run away to Africa and he, he finds this trade guy or whatever he was doing, this Portuguese trade guy, and he hangs out with him for a little bit, but that didn't work. So uh, when he was on a boat, he's, he's on this boat, he finds the whiskey of the boat and he decides to drink all the whiskey of the boat, gets drunk, falls off. The, we can't even make this up. He falls off the boat. They have to harpoon him to get him back into the boat. He's got this huge scar. He ends up hanging around a trade person, slave trader. And then he starts to think about these verses in his mind that God showed him before he, he was six years old and moved away. And he got saved. And he wrote a song. See if you know this one. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. That is grace upon grace. A young boy, born in a home, then sent away, abused, got drunk, fell off a ship, 
harpooned back on and yet writes about God's grace because grace was there in every stage of his life. He's saying this here, and, and don't miss this, Jesus is unique in his provisions because it is grace upon grace for the law was given through Moses, verse 17, but grace and truth were realized through Jesus Christ. I praise God that we don't live in the Old Testament times when we had to follow 613 laws. Anybody want to follow those? 613 that told you how to eat, what to dress, what to do, how to relate to one another. No, we are under grace, God's grace, because grace came with Jesus Christ. But here's another most important thing here in verse 18. He's not only unique in his very position and unique in his provisions, but he is unique in his presentation. Look at this. No one has seen God at any time. Stop there. If somebody comes up to you and says, I just saw God yesterday, something's wrong. God is spirit. Spirit, invisible. We, God is invisible here. We must worship him and in spirit and in truth. No one, me, you, nobody, has seen God. But look at this here. The only begotten, there's that word, the unique and only God, the only begotten, the Lord Jesus Christ, is in the bosom of the Father. Look what it says here. He has explained him. The, the word there is to exegete. It's to Bring out the meaning. When, 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 you, when you go to church, what, what the pastor should do, and sometimes we do a better job than others, so don't judge us right, right away on the first thing you hear from us, but, but, but our, our job is to bring out the meaning of what the text says. And, and, and here's what it says here. It says here, nobody's ever seen God. The only begotten who is in the bosom has seen him. But, but, but Lord Jesus has explained him. He's, he's brought out the very meaning. He, he, he's brought out who the Father is. In other words, if we want to know the Father, we must come to the Son. Because what the Son is, everything the Son, the Father is as well. He has explained the Father. He has exegeted the Father. He has brought out the meaning of the Father. And because this Lord Jesus who came from glory and came down to earth and replaced the tabernacle and now the very divine presence is there in him in bodily form because he is God. He is the one who we look at. So if somebody comes up to you and says, what if God was one of us? He was. His name is Jesus. And if you want to know the God of the universe, you must come to Jesus Christ. You must believe that he came and died for your sins. He was buried and he rose again. You must put your faith alone in him alone for salvation. And the moment you do that, you receive grace upon grace. You say, I, I, I want to know God. How do, I, how do I know him? You come to Jesus. You say, who, who was this Jesus? Let's go back to 14 for a moment. I want to show you the last phrase. 
He not only became flesh, He not only tabernacled amongst us, He not, not only did we see His glory through those servant acts and the acts that He did, the glory of the unique Son of God, the, 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 the relationship that He has with the Father that's unique and only that He has. Here's our Lord Jesus. You know what He is? He is full of grace and He's full of truth. I praise God those both, both of those things. If he was just full of truth, the truth is we're in trouble. The truth is that you and I have failed God. Even our best actions are marred by sin. Even when we think that we're having a great day, we have failed God. And he knows that. And he could have said, you know what? All of you go to hell. But what did he do? He said, son, you're going to go down and you're going to die for them. You're going to be buried and you're going to rise again. See, he's full of truth. But you know what else? He's full of grace. And grace is God's undeserved favor. None of us deserve heaven. None of us. It's all a gift of God. But we must receive it. Isn't it amazing that, that people, we miss this during this time of the year and we talk about Jesus Christ and we say, we say things about him, but we miss the truth of what he's come for. And, and, and isn't it amazing how we've, we live our lives and we say to ourselves, you know what, wow, we're going to heaven, but we forget about this. We are going to heaven by God's grace. So as we celebrate this year, don't forget about the Jesus that we have. One of us. Think about that with your salvation. He cared so much for you and for me that he came to die for us. That's love. That's grace. And that's our Jesus. Let's bow in prayer. We're so thankful that you uh, came here today and as we bow in prayer before God, I don't want to miss this opportunity. Maybe you're here today and you know of the Jesus of the Bible. Maybe you know some things that he has done. Maybe you're saying to yourself, you know what, I, I know he came here on earth. I just, I don't know why. What's, what did he do? Well, he came for you. He came to die for you. He can sympathize with you. He can show you how to live. But he came to die for you. Don't miss that. If you're here today and you've never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, if you've never put your trust alone in what he has done for you, right now is the time. It'll be the greatest Christmas you've ever had. Because Jesus is now inside of you. The hard part is admitting that you're a sinner. That you don't deserve him. The hard part is that because we think that we're good enough. But we'll never understand grace until we realize how great of a sinner we are. So Father, we come before you this morning with open hearts. 
I don't know the spiritual condition of everyone here. You do. I don't know what's going on in hearts. You do. Lord, we all sang the songs. We all greeted one another and we're, we, we, we know we're in the same place, but that doesn't mean that we all have a relationship with you. So God, I pray that right now, if there's someone here who has never embraced the Jesus of the Bible, that right now they would do that. That they would come before you and they would say, Lord, I, I admit I'm a sinner. I, I believe that Jesus came and died for my sins, was buried and rose again. And I accept him as my Savior. The Bible says the moment we do that, we're saved. Father, thank you for the Lord Jesus who is unique in his position. He is of a higher rank than anyone here on this earth. For he is the eternal God. Thank you, Lord, that he is unique in his provisions, that he provides grace after grace. In the midst of the, the good days, the bad days, there's never a day that we don't need your grace. And so thank you for that. And thank you that he is unique in his presentation. When we want to know who you are, we look to Jesus. He explains the Father. Thank you so much. For him and thank you lord for this time of the year that we can focus on him we pray in his name and for his glory amen